This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Election 2020 review on the black side. Oh, 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 no. You can't trust this president to do the right thing, not for one minute, not for one election, not for the sake of our country. You just can't. He will not change, and you know it. resides on what we do outside of the White House. America's chickens! Coming home! Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. You're gonna sing the swim. You're gonna learn the truth. No matter what you do. Alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Passes a three-strike law and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground. And now, Janice Graham. And good evening, and thank you for being with us here tonight at Our Common Ground. It is Wednesday, November 4th, the day after the general election in the United States of America. And tonight at Our Common Ground, we are going to be doing the traditional 2020 election review on the black side. This is the 2020 edition. Keep in mind, we have been doing this since 1985 in every presidential election. And I have, as a personal note, been watching the presidential um, political season and election Um my first one was John Fitzgerald Kennedy versus Richard Nixon. Thank you for being with us. Tonight is a very special night, and we are joined by a very experienced and insightful panel of analysts, folks who have who are observers, activists, and scholars in this political 
um, arena in in the United States of America. And they are Dr. James Taylor, who is the chair of the Department of Politics at the University of San Francisco, Pascal Robert of the Black Agenda Report, Dr. Kimberly C. Ellis, you know her as Dr. Goddess, of hashtag Black Politics Matter, and Carl Dix, who is representing the Revolutionary Communist Party. And we thank them for joining us. But tonight, Alpha of the Alpha Show at TruthWorks Network is joining me as my co-host. Good evening, Alpha. Thank you for being here. Alpha? Good evening, Janice. How are you this evening? I'm Glad fine. Um, well, thank you for joining me. I, You know, one of the things that I... I most like about your show is that you are able to give issues before us and uh, all of the things that we need to understand from the working man's party uh, in the black perspective. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have you and um, I want to um, let people know that we are going to be taking callers in the second page of our Common Ground tonight. We're going to allow our panel uh, to take over um, that the first hour to really get, get a detailed look-see into what happened on yesterday, and as many of you know, um, it's not over, and nobody's seen the fat lady. So uh, in the second hour, you can reach us at 347-838-9852. And for those of you who are listening on smart devices and you would like to join us in our chat room, you can do so by coming to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG and we would be happy to have you and we're asking people to make room for you uh, and in the if you're new especially in the front seats Alpha um, let me ask you a question before we bring in our panel this is the most perplexing thing. Did you you watch the returns all night? Yes, I did. And I ha- I have something that really perplexes me, but I want to ask you in general, what was the thing that was most impressive to you uh for this election? And it and, you know, it doesn't have to be the presidential race, it could be the down ballot stuff. Well, first of all, I really what surprised me most, and I was really happy that he was able to. It appears that he's able to overcome this. The suppression, the suppression part of it, because at this point, that's all they have. They have a flawed <laughs> candidate, and. They went to suppression, straight up 
suppression. They aren't trying to hide it. They know that the Democratic Party won't hang it around their neck for the next two decades or two generations. And so they went with it. And the O'Biden-Harris team were able to stay focused on the small things, and that was winning what they should win. And that's what they're in the process of doing now. And a lot of people went to bed last night uh, grumbling and and really um, pissed off. The Biden campaign stayed on point. And uh, they will prevail. They've got a question with Nevada, not Nevada, Arizona. They got a big question with Arizona. And Donald Trump has sent in armed guards from the Justice Department to stop the count in Pennsylvania, in Georgia, in North Carolina. He believes that no judge has the standing. He is the only one with standing when it comes to the to the election. To hell with the laws and the and you know, the election laws and the election people who govern that. He's taken over the Secretary of State's part. He's talking to his governors. DeSantis in Florida, in Georgia. He's talking to all of these uh, to all of these governors that he wants these voting these vote counting to stop. He is abusing the power of that office. And at well, this point, well, here, here's the point. Illegal. Here's a here's a point to that, and we all should be alarmed about it. Department of Justice, first of all, doesn't have any armed guards, so we must be talking about Bill Barr, who does anything that he wants to do. And when he disappeared after the Rose Garden event, and everyone thought maybe he had COVID, and that's why nobody's seen him. But this is what he was doing. He was moving from state to state setting this up. But, you know, the the place where they've sent these armed guards, and they uh, really probably are federal police, uh, many states, unless they're, un, un, it's like the National Guard, unless the governor calls for them, they have no jurisdiction. And I will say it again, the Department of Justice doesn't have any armed guards. So maybe these are people from uh, Eric Prince. I don't know. These people do anything they want to do. But but I hear you, Alpha. It doesn't matter whether or not the just Department of Justice has any armed guards. They send armed guards to the polling places to stop the account. And that was my point. And it's gotten to a point where enough's enough, and you got to yeah. be held accountable. Yeah. And I yeah. don't care if you've been voted out. I don't care if you only have 60 or 70 days left in office. That basically has to be some 
a price to pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alpha, you know, the most, the thing that struck me most, and you know, I'm always looking for the black side, um, that Trump was able to go from 8% to 12% of the black vote, that he increased from 28% to 32% for the Hispanic vote. And 27% to 31% of the Asian vote. That That is, unless somebody is looking at these numbers all crazy, and they're not a statistician from the math department, the statistics department at MIT, something's wrong with those numbers. Um, and, and I want... I'm hoping that our panel, we're we're waiting for Dr. James Taylor and Dr. Kimberly Ellis to join us, but I'm hoping that someone can explain that to me, because basically when you think about it, you still have to ask, who are these people after four years who are still willing? Alpha, you've got some kind of background noise going. Who are these people, after four years, still willing to vote for this incompetent, intellectually challenged, illiterate person who's been occupying this White House, who has no understanding and no respect for law, or information, or data, or anybody that doesn't look like him with a bank account like him. I, I'm not understanding. Uh, well, I am understanding. I mean, I'm Southern. I understand how and why poor white people would vote for him. So I I hope tonight... Um, our panel is able to extrapolate, translate um, some of what happened in yesterday and also help us to illuminate. Alpha, whatever that noise is, you've got to get rid of it. It's driving me nuts. This is not the Alpha show with background music. Uh, <laughs> So what I'm, I'm hoping, whatever that noise is, uh, I'm hoping that we can get to both looking at our losses and if there are any gains, because I will always come back to that the most important thing that happens for black people is not what happens in the White House, it's what we do, what we do. We are stuck in a, a, a system and a, 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 a infrastructure, a, a structure, structural racism that includes this two-party thing. And, and one of the things, Alpha, last night is I was uh, listening to Twitter, reading Twitter, and 
and listening to some of the commentary, nobody really has gotten to that. We have a lot of people who are very angry, who are very stressed, who are outraged by what we ended up with as our choices. And I'm not just talking about the Democrats and the Republicans, because I'm neither one of those. I'm not even talking about the independents. I'm talking about the system. The system that allows a president to dictate policy, to change and regulate policy that has been voted upon by a Congress. I'm talking about a system that allows 50-50 in the Senate considering the kind of power that they have. So we thank you all, and we hope that you are going to take your notes. We hope that you will um, structure your your comments and your questions as we take callers in the second hour. Let me begin to introduce um, our guest tonight. Uh, we 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 have with us uh, just some some wonderful people. Um, and if you are just joining us, uh, we are joined tonight by a panel um, which includes Pascal Robert um, and Carl Dix and uh, Dr. James L. Taylor and Dr. Kimberly C. Um, um, Ellis. Uh, and all of those people... Um, uh, Brother Carl Dix is new to our common ground, and we welcome him for the first time. But Pascal Robert, who has been with us over the years many, many times, is a recovering lawyer. He's a writer. He's an iconoclast and political commentator. He's an activist and advocate for Haiti because that is his ancestral home, and he is a contributor to Black Agenda Report, The Washington Spectator, and The Huffington Post. He is also a graduate of Hofstra University and the Boston University School of Law. Um, You probably enjoy his commentary uh, coming out of his Facebook page and as as a contributor to the Black Agenda Report. Um, <clears throat> thank you for joining us, um, Pascal, again. And um, we're just really, really pleased to have you. Um, Carl Dix is a long time. I have heard his name for years and years and years, and I do enjoy following him on on Twitter. He is the co-initiator of Refused Fascism. He's a founding member of the Revolutionary Communist Party and co-initiator with Dr. Cornel West, 
of the Stop Mass Incarceration Network. During the 1970s, Brother Dick spent two years in Leavenworth Military Prison for refusing deployment to Vietnam. He has been on the front lines of the struggle against white supremacy and fascism from Charlottesville, Virginia, in August 27, 2017, to the January 20, 2020 Armed Fascist Lobby Day rally in Richmond and to the streets of Minneapolis-St. Paul in the wake of the May 24th murder of George Floyd. Dr. Kimberly C. Ellis will be joining us. She is the initiator of Black Politics Matter, a civic engagement organization that centers the black American and international experience for education, inspiration, and participatory participatory democracy. Um, They're... They have a very interesting uh, logo. We are turning our pain into political power. She is, uh, I mean, I have known uh, Kim Ellis, Dr. Goddess is what we call her. I have known her since she was a freshman in college. And we have had a very close uh, relationship and association since that time. Um, She is a digital strategist and marketer, a scholar of American and Africana studies, a public historian and influencer, performing artist, activist, and entrepreneur. Uh, Her work can be found in The Guardian, BBC, MSNBC.com, Al Jazeera, America, the Pittsburgh City Paper. She has been awarded the YWCA's Racial Justice Award, the Thomas Merton Center's New Person Award, and a Teaching Award from the University of Pittsburgh um, Student Government Association. She is also the recipient of playwriting awards and grants from the Heinz Endowments, the Pittsburgh Foundation, the Women and Girls Foundation, and the uh, Carnegie Foundation. Um, there's just so much. You should follow her if you use social media. She is Dr. Goddess, and I am the one that gave her that name. Our fourth panelist is Professor James, Professor Dr. Professor James Lance Taylor. Um, He is the chair of the Department of Politics at the University of uh, um, San Francisco, and he was with us last Saturday. He has published articles on subjects such as Dr. Devine's International Peace Movement, Dr. Betty Shabazz, and he is the author of Black Nationalism. Um, His most recent published article is King, 
the sellout are selling out King. And if you are in our common ground, he's he's also the former president of the National Conference of Black Political Scientists. It's an important organization of African-American, African, and Afro-Caribbean political scientists in the United States. And we are very pleased of our close association with Dr. James L. Taylor. Uh, Alpha, I think we're going to get started and we'll bring in Dr. Taylor and Dr. Ellis, Dr. Goddess, as they come in. So I'm going to, here's the format for for our listeners. We're going to hear commentary and summary from our panelists. And once they have completed that, then of the issues that they highlight during their summary and presentation, they will then begin to discuss those things with each other. Thank you for being with us. This is on the black side of election 2020. We're going to go to Carl Nix. Good evening, Carl, Brother Brother Dix, thank you so much for for joining us on this occasion. Uh, Thank you for having me on, Janice. Uh, Why don't you give uh, our audience uh, an opportunity to understand how the Revolutionary Communist Party fits into all of this and give us a summary Uh, a commentary on what you believed was important coming up to this election and what happened on yesterday and how our people are going to be impacted and what we need to do. Okay, so uh, let me say this in a nutshell. The Revolutionary Communist Party is a party that exists to make revolution to get rid of this capitalist imperialist system because we see that all of the problems that humanity faces as stemming from the very nature and operation of that system. It's drive for profit at the expense of the profit for a few at the expense of the great majority of humanity is exactly why We see mass poverty all around the world where people are driven to work for next to nothing to enrich the coffers of a few capitalist imperialists, mainly concentrated in the United States and and in Western Europe. The white supremacy that dogs much of the world the subjugation of women and all of the rest, and the devastation of the very environment of the planet. Revolution is what's needed to get rid of that. That's what we exist to do. And and revolution is an act of the masses, not of a handful of folks going out and acting crazy, but millions and millions of people being organized, mobilized, and led to get rid of this system and build a totally different and far better one in its place We can talk about that more later. As far as the elections, 
we saw this election as a very crucial one. Um, in fact, for the first time, we as revolutionaries decided that it was important to participate in one of the U.S. presidential elections because they are generally a contest between two rival, two parties that have rival plans for how to keep the horrors that this country bring visits on the rest of the world and most of the people in this country. And they're both striving to implement that plan to keep that horror in effect. And that's the same in this case, only this time, one of the parties represented a fascist form of rule as the way to enforce that. That party is the Republican Party led by the fascist in chief, Donald Trump. And leading into the election, the fascist nature of his program, which was out there all along, you know, from coming into office with a Muslim ban, moving to attack immigrants to the level of concentration camps on the border, tearing immigrant children from their parents' arms and putting them in cages, seeing the Klansmen and Nazis rallying in Charlottesville in Virginia and seeing very many fine people among them, packing the courts with fascist judges who are put there, who are being put there because they're taking aim at women's rights, the rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people, and voting rights, frankly. Let's just be clear about this, because some of the judges that Trump has put on the bench, at least half a dozen of them have publicly written in the past that they thought Brown versus Board of Education, which ended segregation in this country, was wrongly decided. That's the kind of judges that Trump was putting forward that that program was the program he was putting forward and that if he is able to secure a second term in office, that ha that fascist hammer is going to be brought even further down, not only by escalating the various horrors, the unleashing of white supremacy, the woman hating, the immigrant bashing and all the rest, but also closing out the room to stand up and protest this. And you see this in the way that he is seeing the Justice Department as his personal uh, legal and paramilitary arm that he can unleash against people like Black Lives Matter protesters in, in Portland, like his political opponent, opponent as he wants Barr to investigate, ranging from Hillary Clinton to Barack Obama to Joe Biden and all the rest, and how he looks at people who stand up in protest, like Black Lives Matter, he calls a message of hate and responsible for the lawlessness and chaos in the country, which he intends to put down. What that comes down to is no room to stand up and protest the injustice, and that's very, very important. So, and he's going for this by stealing the election, which is a thing that he has been doing for months. 
and we should just call it what it is. You know, when they do things like throw obstacles in the path of people who are trying to exercise their right to vote, making it harder and harder for that to happen, when they, in the midst of a global pandemic that is killing almost a quarter of a million people in this country so far and counting, saying that people shouldn't be allowed to vote by mail and saying that those votes should be thrown out or and or not counted, when they do things like reverse the uh, ballot initiative in Florida where they re- where the voters re-enfranchise hundreds of thousands of former prisoners and then the state of Florida comes in and passes a law that takes that right away by saying they have to pay fines and fees, in other words, a modern poll tax, and then the money to pay those fines and fees gets raised, and Florida says, well, you can't pay it because we don't know what you owe. And then the Trump-packed judiciary, the courts, accept Florida's argument, which comes down to Florida's incompetence, it's legal for Florida to use its incompetence to re-disenfranchise hundreds of thousands of former prisoners. This is vote stealing. And now today he's saying don't count the rest of the votes. Stop counting wherever I'm ahead. This is stealing the vote. It is illegitimate. But that illegitimacy is on top of a regime that has been illegitimate from the beginning. Now, specifically in terms of black people, we got to talk about what Ice Cube had to say. We got to talk about Lil Weezy, Lil Wayne, and some of these rappers. There are others, but let's talk about the rappers for, for a second who say Trump is their man, or at least that they will work with Donald Trump which came down to throwing him a lifeline in the middle of this election, which has the character of a fascist regime trying to consolidate its hold, its stranglehold on power. And the best argument that came up from among those people is, was from Ice Cube where he said, I'm looking at this in terms of what's in it for black people. And I said in an interview on allhiphop.com with uh, Chuck Creekmer, Ice Cube and the rest of them is doubly wrong in doing this and saying this. Why do I say doubly wrong? Well, first off, the man is attacking humanity devastating the environment of the planet, attacking women's rights, LGBTQ rights, attacking immigrants, attacking Muslims. In that situation with that kind of person, it is wrong to say, well, if you got something in it for black people, I will throw you a bone and a lifeline because then you're assisting that regime in carrying out all these attacks. That's the first reason they're wrong. The second reason they're wrong, Donald Trump is a genocidal racist. That's all I can say about the man. That's the best I can say about the man. This is a guy who, when the Central Park Five were being railroaded 
some 30 years ago called for the reinstatement of the death penalty so they could be executed. This is five young black and brown young men who were being framed up for a crime they didn't commit. Trump wanted to execute them. Then on top of that, when they were exonerated by the legal system, Trump said, well, they should still be in jail. That's his history, but we can bring it up closer to current day. We can talk about how he saw very fine people among those Klansmen and Nazis. And I was in Charlottesville, Virginia. There was folk in Charlottesville who came up to me among Trump's many fine people and said the wrong side won the Civil War. In other words, the side fighting for slavery should have won. And this fits in because Donald Trump loves his Confederate monuments because, remember, he was very upset when people were tearing them down, throwing paint on them and all that kind of stuff and wants to pass a law to make them illegal. This is the man you're dealing with, and you're going to ask him what he's going to do for black people? He's already shown you what he's going to do for black people. He is going to unleash horror on them. He's going to cheerlead for brutal murdering cops who have been seen on video brutalizing and murdering black people. And he's going to say, he has said, don't be so nice to the people they arrest. Talking to the people who have been murdering Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Walter Wallace here in Philadelphia, where I happen to be right now. You know what black people are going to get from him. So don't be talking about he going to throw some bones to black people and we should get with him on the basis of that because that ain't true. This is a man. I mean, one last thing I'll say. After the cops shot Jacob Blake in the back seven times in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Trump went to Kenosha not to talk with James Blake because he survived that attempt to murder him, not to talk with the Blake family, but to meet with the Kenosha cops and congratulate them on the fine job they've been doing. Fine job doing what? Shooting black people in the back seven times? This is where this man is coming from. That should clear up where we need to stand in relation to him. Now, in terms of what black people are going to get out of this, we have to stop this regime from consolidating this power because Trump gets a second term and is unleashed to be Trump. It will be hell for black people and, frankly, for all kinds of other people as well. Now, that doesn't mean that a Biden administration is something that's going to be good for black people. And I say that as somebody who voted for Biden, because to me, Biden is really, and the Democrats are no different than the Republicans, except that the Republicans are part of a fascist regime right now. We've got to stop that fascist regime so that there remains room to protest and fight injustice. And what we really need is a movement for an actual revolution, which is what the Revolutionary Communist Party exists to build and is working to lead right now, even as we're throwing in the drive the Trump-Pence regime out. I'll stop there and just let the audience know they should go to the website revcom.us to find out more about the Revolutionary Communist Party, its leader Bob Avakian, and what it's all about. And go to the website refusefascism.org to get involved in this struggle to bring 
millions of people out in the streets to say no to Trump's attempt to steal the election and to enforce fascist rule in America. I'll just stop there because I don't want to okay, bring the rest we look, of the Okay, we look forward um, uh, in this discussion, uh, Brother Carl, for you to embellish on um, how this, how we move from this election into uh, dismantling um, the structure that has been created to allow um, a Donald Trump to exist and a Democratic Party to be non-responsive. We're going to go to our next panelist, Alpha, um, Pascal Robert is a contributor at the Black Agenda Report in the Huffington Post, and he is, um, <laughs> I love to, uh, he says he's a survivor of being a lawyer. <laughs> Pascal, thanks again for being with us here at Our Common Ground. What are your, uh, your what's your summary on this election and how, we should be responding to it and how black people and um and voters how black voters have responded to it or not responded to it well first i want to say thank you for the opportunity once again to be on your show janice and to give greetings to uh, all the panelists uh, participating in this very important discussion my uh in, I spent the whole night watching the election results, and the conclusion, my mantra for this election is basically that if if Trump is defeated, perhaps Trumpism will reign victorious. And what do I mean by that? When I say even if Trump loses this election, the fact that Trump was able to expand his voter participation within the Republican Party, expand voter participation amongst all varieties of ethnic groups, was able to basically avoid the fate that many people expected, sadly because they were following these telephone polls, that Trump would be completely repudiated in this election, it was going to be a blue wave, that this will be over, and blah, et cetera, all this belief that Biden would reign supreme. And I, for the last three weeks, I've been telling people on social media, and I've gotten quite a bit of pushback, for simply saying, do not be one of these folks who believes that this election is a wrap for Joe Biden, Please be alive to the reality that Donald Trump could win this election. And just for saying that, people were accusing me of being a MAGA chud. People were saying, like, oh, you're a Russian bot. I was like, listen, I said, I, you know, I'm not a bot. I, mean, I don't get any money or any participation for my quality of life from Russia or any Russians. And I've been writing online for a, a publication that's probably more radical left than anything you've ever read for over a decade. So the notion of me being affiliated with Trump or bots or anything else is ridiculous. But the, the sheer unwillingness of people to be objective and realize that this man could have a bad path to victory made me sit down and watch the reactions of people having all kinds of 
conniptions and nervous breakdowns all night because they're seeing that they're going to go to bed and Trump may still be able to be president. And they're asking, how is, how is this happening? I say, well, how is this happening is because I've been explaining to you for about a week and a half how this could be the possibility. So for me, the biggest concern for me that is a product of this election, which I do believe Donald Trump will lose, I do believe Joe Biden will be victorious, is that this election was not the repudiation of Trumpism that many, many people wanted to see or thought they would see. In many ways, Trump's performance actually validated and reified the Trumpist, Trumpism project. And what do I mean by that? And I agree with Brother, Brother Dix that Trump is a manifestation of a reactionary nationalism or fascism. But the question that no one wants to ask, because they want to talk about, oh, Russia, 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 or he stole the election, is what was the condition of America as a society that brought us to why we have a Donald Trump? Second of all, is Donald Trump a global anomaly? In other words, something that is you know, unheard of everywhere else? Or is Donald Trump actually a reflection of an international trend that is going on in global leadership that is a direct consequence of the condition of capitalism in a, as a political economy in the world today? Why does Donald Trump seem to be America's version of Boris Johnson and Viktor Orban or Marine Le Pen in France or the Five League in, Italian, in, in Italy or Bolsonaro in Brazil? If Trump is so, is so out of the park, why do we have all of these European uh, leaders in major countries like Great Britain, like, like, like Hungary, like Italy, like France, using the same kind of reactionary nationalist rhetoric, anti-immigrant zealotry, uh, stoking hatred, racial nationalism, you know, the... the, uh, the uh, raising the flag of the folkland and the narratives, the great narratives of our history, which are normal fascist tropes. Why is this happening if Trump is supposed to be this anomalous, this crazy thing out of nowhere? Because many people, and sadly many black people, fail to realize that Donald Trump is just one star in a constellation of a global reality that is a reaction to the failure of post-2008 economic crash capitalism to meet the needs of Western civilization. We are engaged in a global battle between two paradigms, the reactionary nationalist, i.e. fascist paradigm, versus the international liberal democratic order. When I mean Democrat, I don't mean big D like the Democratic Party. I'm talking about since World War II to today, there was a global consensus on how international finance and business and capital and geostrategic affairs were marshaled in the world, largely under the control and, the, and domination of the United States using certain globalist institutions yeah. like NATO, the World Bank, the IMF, et cetera, et cetera. That's what you call the liberal democratic order. What happens is that in the post-civil rights era, 
the economic model that we have in the world uses a certain kind of cannibalistic form of capitalism. And what's the term you and I discuss all the time that no one really wants to define, Dennis? Neoliberalism, which you and I also agree is a fancy word for what? Privatization, where you have government-subsidized water and electricity, private company comes in and takes all those services, you still pay taxes, but they... They play with the quality of the services. They raise the prices. They diminish the quality of the services. They gave you, you know, lead water or bad electricity, et cetera, et cetera. This phenomenon called neoliberalism has been cannibalizing the Western world for over 40 years. And after the 2008 crash, it led to something called global austerity. What is austerity? It's a fancy word for government cutbacks. The government cuts the services to society, such as Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever kind of programs they have in Europe in order to pay finance capital for going into a crash and basically cutting Mm -hmm. government services. Austerity This poisonous idea is like a cancer on a human body in a society because you are forcing people to starve to pay off the banks. And that economic phenomenon is when you start to see UKIP, the party in Europe talking about Brexit, when you start to see Marine Le Pen, the woman in France who's talking about get all these Arabs out of here. That's when you start to see Victor Orban in Hungary talking about we have to you know, protect the history of our people. This trend, Trump is actually a late manifestation of an international phenomenon that is reacting to the crisis of capitalism. Vladimir Lenin said something that's very true. Fascism is capitalism in decay. And until okay, we start to make um, the connection... You need to wrap up, Pascal. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Until we make the connection to how we got to Trump related to the political economy of American society and global economy, we will not be able to deal with the possibility that Trumpism may still be alive after a Trump presidency. Hmm. And you're located in Miami, and I'm hoping that at some point during the discussion on the panel, we we talk about what happened in Dade uh, County in this election on yesterday. Thank you, Pascal. Uh, we were listening to a presentation by Pascal Reber of the Black Agenda Report. We have now Dr. Taylor and Dr. Ellis who is with us, and we're going to ask them to um, try to take us to the top of the hour, which gives them uh, uh, 50%, 50% on 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, Dr. James L. Taylor of the University of San Francisco, thank you again, Brother Taylor, for being with us. Yes. Thank, thank you for having me. I, I don't know what, what I can add. Uh, I think... Uh, Brother Dixon and Brother Robert have covered it all. Um, I think you've pulled off an amazing uh, feat here uh, because there's a range of perspectives uh, on your panel. Um, And to me, it's just very, um, I think, spot on, uh, everything that they've addressed in terms of political economy, racism, trying to understand the larger, I think, global phenomena, uh, the realities of just flat racism and the ways in which it has been played in the political process. Um, Donald Trump is not unprecedented. He's not even new. Um, I think 
um, you know, a, a sort of different take on Trump. As a native New Yorker myself, um, I knew Trump when I was a kid um, coming up in New York. I didn't know him personally, I mean, but of him uh, because he was always there as a, you know, personality that the local media made famous and a celebrity. And, um, uh, you know, someone like me got to watch Trump, as Brother Dixon talked about. I was one of those younger people that he addressed um, when he was talking about, uh, you know, the death penalty and when Hillary Clinton was talking about super predators, right? Um, and so for me, Donald Trump is a, a much more of a New York creature. Um, and all of what Brother Pascal is talking about certainly has a location in New York, too, Wall Street on, on, on up, right? But in terms of just the raw racism of Trump, as a New Yorker, I think um, Trump has done what Reagan did. Reagan, when the Panthers walked past Reagan that day in Sacramento, he was on the lawn talking to some white kids, and they walked past him with their guns. He was never the same from that moment, and he took eventually, ironically here in California today, a Prop 16 just lost, and, Prop, uh, and Reagan got to na uh, national leadership, or at least you know he launched his national uh, reputation on Prop 13 here, which was a property tax uh, issue that basically killed the public sector support from tax dollars from property taxes here in California in 1978. Reagan brought that racism uh, after he attacked Angela Davis and the Black Panthers and even the uh, governor, uh, Brown, who we ran against, uh, and then um, took it to California, took it to D.C. And I think this is what, what Donald Trump is. I think he's a New York racist like Rudy Giuliani, um, like, uh, you know, a number of other people, Koch, Ed Koch, and a number of other people I, I could name, going back to the, to the 60s and 70s. And c c flash forward real quickly, um, you can draw a direct genealogical line, you know, with Donald Trump manufactured even the apprentice from, from George Steinbrenner. I mean, George Steinbrenner was the owner of the New York Yankees. Anyone from New York knows mm -hmm. that Steinbrenner was only known for one thing, and that was firing everybody. He was the boss of New York, <laughs> and he had one reputation. You fired Billy Martin ten times, Reggie Jackson a bunch of times. It was, a, it was a big thing in New York media. Trump studied Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner died uh, apprentice is born, you're fired, becomes Donald Trump's thing. And then he takes MAGA directly from Reagan And when Reagan ran in 80. Reagan ran on MAGA in 80. So to me, you know, as much as I, I agree with Brother Pascal, uh, you know, of all the things he pointed to, these other connections, because I think Trump is such an empty thing that anybody can use him, like Putin has and others have, even, even uh, the Korean. But the, the bottom line is, you know, I think Trump is also – um, this thing that has something to do with just raw Queens racism coming up in the same community that Archie Bunker uh, did. So I don't want to take up the sister's time, so I'll stop there. Okay. Thank you, uh, Dr. Taylor. I look forward to your exchange with the other panelists um, later in the broadcast. Dr. Kimberly C. Ellis, Dr. Goddess, thank you for being with us. It's hashtag black politics matters and did it indeed on yesterday thank you so much uh, for having me bj and uh greetings to all of the other guests um i'm enjoying this conversation i feel like you know dr taylor set me up perfectly because i'm the youngest person on this panel and I started watching The Apprentice and was really enjoying it. I, 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 enjoy, I mean, Dr., uh, Donald Trump was very entertaining, firing people, you know. Um, and I, as much as I enjoyed it, that is also how I realized that he was a racist. 
because when uh, Dr. Randall Pinkett, who came, he was a contestant, he came with five degrees, just a, a, a brilliant black man, strong black man, you know, just intelligent, excellent player. When he won, when he won, like flat out won, Donald Trump asked him if he would take a tie and allow the white man who he defeated to uh, be his, to, to, to uh, tie with him. And I remember that my heart dropped because Donald Trump hadn't actually done anything like blatantly racist, you know, leading up to that time. And, you know, even from the first season, uh, Kwame was, uh, was a contestant and so was Omarosa. You know what I mean? So this idea that you could be the apprentice, you could be Donald Trump's apprentice, you know, he included black people. So it was just like, okay, this is fun. We'll see. But I knew then that he that that is a very racist tenet that he could not handle the fact that a black man actually won The Apprentice, and so to me and, and you know his personality right that he he is a winner takes all type of person he's a you know the dominant person a conqueror type person so to ask ask the winner to take a tie is so anti Donald Trump it's so anti everything that this show is about. Except race, <laughs> you know, when it came in, when it came to that, and so I was like, oh my God, I think you know Donald Trump is racist. And then came the birther movement, um, and so you know, as somebody who was on Twitter at this time, um, as somebody who was actually even prominent on, my name is Dr. Goddess, and I'm, I'm on Twitter. I live on Twitter a lot. And um, when he started the birther movement and started to go after Barack Obama. That's when many of us joined the Dump Trump campaign. We started very, very early. And I, I literally, I boycotted The Apprentice as much as I enjoyed it. I was like, you know what? No, that's, this is a wrap. I knew it from Dr. Randall, the treatment of Dr. Randall Pinkett, the winner, to now you want to go after the integrity and the, you know, the birth certificate of the first black, the presumed first black president. It was just too much. So many of us joined the Dump Trump campaign very, very early. So fast forward we are here, I am here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. As you all know, we are the battleground state. We are literally one of the states that the whole world is watching and has been. Um, so because I live in Pittsburgh, you know, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are two large, central, um, uh, urban, and black, Philly, Philly being more black, you know, than Pittsburgh. But we, we have a significant black population here. If uh, if Biden wins Pennsylvania, it will be because of Allegheny County. It will be because of the brothers and sisters in Philadelphia, right. and it will be because of the black community again. As soon as you step outside of the city limits of Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, it's Trump country. So, um, and, you know, this is a split between literally people who actually believe in COVID, <laughs> who actually believe that, like, COVID can kill you and that you should wear a mask and that it might be safer for you to actually mail in your ballot, that is really making the difference here because <laughs> early voting was huge in Pennsylvania. The people who voted early really did believe and still do believe in the science behind COVID. And many of us, you know, who are African-American and whatnot, we saw ourselves being disproportionately affected. We believed it. We understood it. And so – we voted early to protect ourselves health-wise. We voted early because we knew that Donald Trump was going to try to cheat, and we mailed in ballots um, or we dropped off our ballots because we didn't trust what was happening relative to the U.S. Postal Service. So if it all comes down to it, it means that Pittsburgh and Philadelphia will join 
the rest of the African-American community and making the wisest choice for this particular election because it looked like Milwaukee, you know, brought home Wisconsin. It looked like Detroit brought home Michigan, right? So once again, it's on black America. We would have saved the union just like the Civil War. You know, black soldiers saved the union back, uh, you know, in, in 1865, 1863 to 1865. And yet, what will we receive, you know, as a result of this? You know what I mean? And or will uh, Joe Biden be attacked and assassinated and whatnot, just like Abraham Lincoln was attacked and assassinated because he stood up for us? No, regardless of his other feelings, you know what I mean? But, you know, we all know he said, if I could have done it without, you know, freeing the slaves, I would have. But still, you know, he did it. That's the point. He did it. And it changed the course of history. So... That's where we are right now um, in terms of being in Pennsylvania. Um, I created Black Politics Matter in 2014, and then I updated it again because I wanted to make the connection and speak directly to and inspire and speak about this community of protesters, right, who emerged in a hashtag movement that was – it wasn't leaderless. It was not leaderless, but, the, you know, the focus was on decentralized leadership. But even relative to Black Lives Matter, the organization, the Black Lives Matter movement is so much bigger than the actual organization. And I know that the three founders, Alicia Garza, you know, uh, Opal uh, Tometi and Patrice Colors get a lot of credit for creating Black Lives Matter, the organization, and they deserve it. You know, they were all organizers, and they deserve they deserve it because they captured the moment. But in twenty, you know, fourteen, twenty fifteen, when when all this emerged in Ferguson, they weren't actually fully ready. You know, and then then the whole Black Lives Matter like organization did not really want to embrace electoral politics. Um, meanwhile, the Black Lives Matter, Matter movement was just like flourishing and floundering, you know, at the same time. I mean, we were we were living through this amazing, um, huge social movement that was largely very social network-ish and protest-ish. And what did not happen in 2014, 2015, when I attended the Movement for Black Lives convening in Ohio, which, you know, we know Ohio for the murder of Tamir Rice because, you know, trying to get rid of the DA, uh, Tim McGinty, when I arrived at the Movement for Black Lives Convening in Cleveland, there wasn't even any voter registration. It was 25th, summer of 2015. Like, I was shocked by that because I, it, there was not a clear path between protests and changing policy, the type, of, the type of life-changing policy. And I thought, how could we have one of the best movements that has ever existed, at least in terms of outreach and in terms of, um, in terms of activating all of these, you know, new voters, new people, you know, older activists, whatever, you know, how could we have all of this power? Do we not know our power? And then just say we're not going to engage in electoral politics. And literally Black Lives Matter made it a, 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 uh, an absolute that they don't endorse any candidate. You know, and I understood the fear. I understood the concern. They don't. They didn't want to be a, a co-opted by the Democratic movement and whatnot. But there were Democrats on the inside that made sure that Black Lives Matter was a standard tenant, where any single any candidate that tried to run on a Democratic ticket had mm-hmm. to address Black Lives Matter, and they they literally like just completely uh, disregarded that. 
I think it was a major mistake, and, and and I was just really, really upset about, you know, some of those leaders. You know, there was there was dissension, so I can't. This was not a, like a unanimous decision, but many of the leaders, like in movement of movement for Black Lives and or Black Lives Matter, it just it just became problematic because I just feel that we did not properly seize the movement and our power, and it didn't mean that you sold out if you happened to endorse or vote against uh, Donald Trump by voting for Hillary Clinton. And that is why Angela Davis said what she said, I am not going to be narcissistic enough, even though Hillary Clinton does not match my politics. At this point, the race has come down to be between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And there's no way, if you care about people, if you care about the lives of black America, that you could actually say don't vote and or that you don't vote for Hillary Clinton. And when she said that, Mm -hmm. some of the protesters that had been in the streets that had been wearing shirts like I am not my ancestors, literally some of them called Angela Davis, who gave her life for us, called her a sellout. I couldn't believe it. I was furious. It was was so many different issues. It exposed so many different fractures in the movement. It exposed generation gaps, a lack of understanding, people who didn't talk to their grandmothers, people who clearly didn't. They were spoiled, right, like spoiled on the presidency of Barack Obama, a president who actually acknowledged their humanity. And we disagreed with him using the word thugs. There's no question. But while he used the word thugs, he still protected people's right to vote. He protected the free press. He protected black humanity. Now, under Trump, you have a president who, who don't give a damn about your humanity, who don't protect you at all, and in fact will incite white supremacists to actually cause violence against you and cause the type of violence that we saw in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So the list goes on. I can go, I can go further. But in general, <laughs> the idea of black politics matter is that we have to, and we have to turn our pain into political power because black lives matter. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Dr. Taylor. Thank you, Pascal Verber and Carl Dix. And we're going to take a break, Alpha. Um, that, that's a lot to pack in. And we're hoping that on the other side of this break, uh, Alpha will come back and help us begin the, discuss- the, the discussion between the panelists. We hope you'll stay with us. Our number is 347-838-9852. And for all disclosure, people should know that Dr. Goddess is my cyber daughter and has been since (laughs) 1989. (laughs) And I am so proud of her. You know, I tried to work over the last, I would say, 20 years for people to take this mic from me and move this gauntlet forward like a torch. And um, uh, Dr. Goddess, Dr. Kim, as a matter of fact, I gave her the name Dr. Goddess, Uh, and it just stuck. (laughs) It just stuck. And and young people like Pascal Robert, I think that we all have a responsibility uh, if we're going to essentially claim that we are movers uh, to have people in um, trained and ready 
and they are indeed trained and ready. And we thank you again for being with us. We're going to take a, a very brief break, and you can refresh your um, your snacks and, and beverages. And when we come back, uh, Carl Dix of the um, uh, Jesus, Carl Dix of the Revolutionary Communist Party, Dr. Kimberly Ellis of uh, Black Votes Matter, Pascal Reber of the Black Agenda Report, and Dr. James L. Taylor of the Department of Politics at University of San Francisco uh, will speak with each other about what this is all about. Uh, and how this election has really um, garnered something other than um, just some people voting. And it's not right about some people voting. We'll be right back. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And, uh, and who's going to get it and how are they going to get it? And yet the Democratic Party has never told black folks that. And so what you should be voting for out there is not for a political political, uh, candidate based on his personality. Well, I like this candidate for this reason. I like that for that reason. You should be saying, I want to pick the person who's going to provide the most benefits to black people. They're not going to provide any benefits to black folk. Why are you voting? You go to the supermarket, and you go go in there, and you starve to death, and you need some groceries. You go to the supermarket, walk up to the cashier, and give him $50. Say, I'm buying $50 worth of food. And you don't have to give me anything for it. Just take the fifty dollars, and I'm going back by, by my business. See, that's what the Democrats are doing. And black people don't understand that the Democratic Party has never, 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 ever done anything in the history of this nation. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. this coming? You don't see this narrative coming as they force another jet fight. As they the best of political talkback. Common sense right from the concrete. Urban, progressive politics. 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 Friday night at TruthWorks Network. 10 p.m. Alpha drills down deep the lies, the conspiracies in politics. It's just damn politics. The Alpha Show. How do you wake up the entire African-American community to the hidden issue of mental health? It showed up in my life through one of my best friends. And we've been friends for over 30 years. One story at a time. If we would have known earlier, you know, we would have been more, much more supportive with her. Once I reached out to my sister, it got a little better. Once I told my mother, it got a little better. The more I talked about it. I felt it coming off. The healing is in me, and the healing in a journey can also be extended to others. It's our community and our mental health. Giving voice 
to what you're feeling is part of the healing. If you're strong enough to just open your mouth, that's all it takes. And the most revolutionary and healing thing that black people can do right now is to love one another. It's time to share ourselves. Healing starts with us. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Ad Council, and the Stay Strong Foundation. It's amazing how people can come together by spending time apart. Quest Diagnostics thanks you for doing your part to stop the spread of the coronavirus through social distancing and proper hygiene. At Quest, we're doing our part by establishing COVID-19 lab testing capabilities across the country to better serve our communities and healthcare providers. If you suspect you have COVID-19, talk to a healthcare provider and let's keep doing our part so we can all come back together stronger than ever. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now back to Janice. And we thank you for being here at our common ground. Alpha, um, so where do you think we ought to shift and bring this discussion in? Well, Dennis, um, I want to thank your your panel. Those were very interesting comments, all true. And I want to add something to it. When you speak of fascism that Republicans have basically been indoctrinated with, when you speak of the Democratic side that is offering black people nothing. What you're failing to do is realize the lesser of two evils, and those are the Democrats. And I'll say it like this. When has this country been anything other than evil? So to pick one of the two simply is a move for a need. Right. You need to get inside of the political process to affect it. Because right. other than that, you're just sitting outside. And if you're just sitting outside, you're just sitting out, you yell like yelling in a canyon. You can make a small difference. The more you protest, the more you march, and I'm all for the marching and the protesting. But think about it. You have to get inside to make a difference, to even begin a difference. We were not supposed to be here. We have saved the Democratic Party how many times? Just this year, and well, last year, Joe Biden was face down in the ocean. That's right. Dead. 
He was dead. That's right. I was leaning toward an Elizabeth Warren for the simple fact that she had a policy. She had an answer to your question, to what are you going to do about this? When they talk about Medicare for all, well, hell, you've got enough money when you fund these wars. You've got enough money to give to military and to the military complex, but you don't have enough money for health care when all other industrial countries provide health care for their citizens. So at some point, the lofty rhetoric and the Trump is this Trump. Trump has got to be the most vile so-called leader. So-called anything other than uh, a bad, a, a real bad strain of a STD. <laughs> so when you get right down to it, you have a choice. You all have a choice to make. And each one of your movements and each one of your, your participation and what you believe are, are just spot on. But as you have seen in all of the years that you've been doing this, how far have you gotten unless you get inside of the two political parties? It's like, do you want to get inside the Witch's Castle and the Wizard of Oz? Or do you want to go to uh, the Land of Oz where the Wizard is? And those are the, those so are the two choices. You know, um, if you if you're Dorothy, you're um, what's that thing you used to say all the time? What if um, if Dorothy and Toto, uh huh, encountered encountered men with no brains, no heart, and no balls, they wouldn't be in our. They'd be in the Congress. (laughs) Okay, so uh, out of your perspective from sitting and watching in Chicago the returns, where does this this panel, what's the, where do we want this panel to begin in talking with each other? Does it have to do with the notion of, why don't we let them decide? Dr. Taylor, where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I think I think we all uh, hit, hit similar chords across the across the uh, table, um, uh, trying to sort of uh, approach issues that are happening right now, um, and and the, the broader connections. Uh, I think uh, Brother Dix and Brother Roberts did a great job of sort of mapping out for us a way of understanding the cred- the current crisis in relationship to you know larger. Um, connections beyond just Floyd uh, George Floyd's neck, you know, and, and that cop's knee, and what extends from that moment, and what's behind it, or what's in front of it, or what funds it. And a lot of times we don't get that kind of. Um, I mean, Brother Dix is well known, and Brother Robert, uh, Robert are both but well known. Um, and fortunately, we do have uh, social media and other net, you know, other outlets now, platforms like like. Uh, uh, you know, like we mentioned, like the sister mentioned earlier. Um, uh, so 
so, I, you know, I, I, I want to be ha- optimistic about what's happening right now because I think it's right that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about black men, Ice Cube, and, and, and what black men were going to do. And as a, you know, I am a black, in other words, I have a, a, a strong heart for black women as a son of a black mother and who was raised by a strong black woman who's now gone. And I, I you know, and I, and I, and, I, and that's in me. Um, and so for me, you know, Ice Cube wanting to have a conversation about the black agenda and not engaging black people. I mean, to me, Ice Cube made the mistake that a lot of young people make every generation. And this is what Harold Cruz said about at least the Panthers and that generation is that they um, didn't take full account of what had happened before them and how they related to it and then bring that forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's what we tend to do, you know, the, the comment that this ain't your grandmother's um, uh, revolution. Well, you know, um, Gloria Richardson, who Malcolm X mentions in Message to the Grassroots, is still alive. Uh, and she is the sister who uh, has her hand on that bayonet looking at that uh, National Guardsman like she would take it from mm-hmm. him and use it if necessary. And I show my students. Now, you, 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 you show me somebody in Black Lives Matter doing this. Right, um, and, and so I was glad to hear um, uh, her, the sister mention. Can you tell me her name? Because I don't have it in front of me. Dr. Kimberly Ellis. Th- thank you. Uh, sorry, Kimberly. Uh, Dr. Ellis uh, was saying, um, you know, uh, you know, there's, you know, black folk um, have once again, and I think we got to figure out now how to parlay that. You know, Brother Dixon, wa- Brother Dixon wants revolution, and and I understand that. And in the meantime, you know, we have to figure out how to play this game and, you know, just in this, you know, for the sake of taking prosecutors to task and taking, you know, judges to task and, and other actors, not just presidents, who are part of the real problem at the most immediate level of what we've done. And, and, I, and I think we should look at, you know, how Ice Cube wants to have a conversation about the black community but did not engage black women uh, and did not really – you know, have any particular statement about black women or black women's health, um, or about you know about black children, about education in particular. Uh, he didn't seem to learn the lessons of real quickly. I'm trying to be quicker than other people want to get a word in. Um, but if you look well, at what Ella Baker did, in. and if you look at what Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer did in '64, mm. they gave us a model for how to do something like run against the Democrats within the Democratic Party. You can use the Democratic apparatus as an independent party within it. Harold Washington became mayor because a bunch of everyday black men, and we talked about this the other day, about Tim Black and, and you know, people like Conrad Worrell and, and, and Bob Starks. These brothers and, and other people's sisters drafted Washington back from Washington, D.C., into Chicago, ran against the Democrats successfully. And we haven't learned those lessons. So Ice Cube gets his yellow pad like he's still 17, learning how to rap, and then puts his words on it, and then asks us to co-sign on it after he's given it to Claude Anderson, and Claude Anderson said, yeah, I agree with this, and then they all of a sudden we got a conversation about, about the black agenda coming from Ice Cube's uh, yellow rap pad, like he had when he was 17 and wrote his first rhymes, and not even considered all of the examples of what I just said. They ignored Ella Baker. They, they ignored Howard Washington. Hell, they didn't even acknowledge the fact that Tavis Smiley failed using that format. 
I mean, they yes, didn't even include you. the, the, the failure of of, Ice Cube, of, of of Chavis, right? And and so and didn't learn the lesson. I mean, if if Gary was imperfect in '72, at least <laughs> they brought the people together and they engaged the people. If Farrakhan is imperfect for the Million Man March, and I'm sure we got plenty of criticism to lend to lend to Farrakhan, but at least he went around the country two or three times, did black media, <laughs> talked to people, <laughs> went into ch- churches, went into communities, and engaged people. Now he didn't engage. Enough and, and engage him around the right questions and issues, but at least he gave Ice Cube a model, and Ice Cube ignored that one and went back to his yellow pad and asked us to co-sign on it. So my problem, and I'll, I'll stop after this. My problem with all of what they did was that they didn't the, the method, their methodology of not including everyday black people and yet attempting to speak for them and make demands on their behalf was the fundamental problem I have with, with that whole episode. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I'd really like to jump Go in. Go ahead, Carl. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I'd really like to jump in. Jump right on I, in. Uh, Brother Taylor, first of all, you know, shout out. To, uh, I didn't know you were from New York City. I'm from Jamaica, Queens. I grew up in New York. And I really appreciated your commentary on Donald Trump because I, I think we're probably close in age. And I remember viscerally the images of Trump during the Koch era and all of that. Right. So you were, you brought you brought many memories to my mind growing right. up in the city and watching Donald Trump and being the you know the typical urban white trash clown yep. that he was with the racism races and that comes with that. But I, you know first I want to do two things very quickly. One I want to read a quote from W. E. Du Bois. This is a quote from Du Bois in 1922. The two parties have combined against us to nullify our power by a gentleman's agreement of non-recognition. No matter how we vote, may God write us down as asses if we ever again are found putting our trust in either the Republican or Democratic parties. That's mm. W.B. Du Bois in 1922. Yes, sir. The second thing I want to say and Brother Taylor, I know that you are a scholar of black politics, and I respect your work. You know, I'm, I'm good friends with uh, Cedric Johnson, who's oh, wow. highly of your work as well. Yeah. So I wanted to say is that what does it say about black politics that Ice Cube can't even attempt to do what he did and cause an uproar in black political discourse? Right. Right. Does that in and of itself not demonstrate that there is a crisis in black politics? Does that not in the fact that Ice Cube believes that he can draft an agenda for 46 million people without even <laughs> asking their opinion and feel that he should negotiate with the ruling class? Because let's, let's be clear what he is doing is negotiating with the ruling class on behalf of a constituency that never, ever once acquiesced to him being a representative of them. This goes back to a quote that I love from Langston Hughes. Any Negro with $5 in the pocket in a new suit can be a black leader. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Can I can I jump in? No, Let's hear from Kim. Let's hear from Kim. That's funny. Yeah, I, I want to jump in because yes, I'm here. I wanted to jump in because I wholeheartedly agree with both of the brothers, and and from my perspective, it is it, it, it piggybacks right off of what you just said. Like Ice Cube, sure, no, he definitely did not consult black women. But he didn't, he didn't consult black men either. He didn't consult black people. 
right. you know what I mean? He just grabbed a couple of people who, for you know, he got played on in, on so many different levels and in so many different ways. But but it's, it's all egos. Let me take it back really quickly because we got to be very very clear. Barack Obama's um, campaign, his presidential campaign, it revolutionized and it democratized literally the space so that individual people could claim ownership over their own vote, right, and their own voice. Barack Obama is the Twitter president, okay? And on Twitter, you know, if you're unfamiliar, you have your account, and you can say whatever you want to say. And if you use that hashtag and you want to join in the discussion, nobody can stop you from joining in the discussion on a hashtag, okay? They can block your account and say, I don't want to hear from this person, et cetera, et cetera. But if somebody uses that hashtag, they will still be involved in the overall conversation. And that's very important because using social networks and empowering individual people is how Barack Obama won. It meant that you could skip past the gatekeepers, even in the black community, right? In the past, you had to, you know, a politician had to come, give a little money to the black church, you know what I mean, give a little money to, you know, a politician, give a little money to another black gatekeeper that may or may not be for the people, and then they they sort of like deliver the black vote because they have they are representatives and they have at least been given a stamp of approval by their constituents if they're a politician or by their congregants if they're a pastor right and Barack Obama got criticized because he skipped all of that right he got criticized by Jesse Jackson he was Jesse Jackson was mad at him um, for like not wanting to follow that model anymore. Okay, so in many ways, it's great because the space was democratized. However, the flip side is that it means that it created the space for a hashtag movement (laughs) called Black Lives Matter, and it gave people the impression that you could actually, you know, speak up and that you could do something. But the thing about Ice Cube is that he missed the fact that the reason why people coalesce around the hashtag is because they were fed up with some persistent conditions that were addressed in places like Gary, Indiana in 1972, right? Right, That were addressed in the Black Radical Congress in Chicago, of which I was a part, that were addressed at the Million Man March. It wasn't random. It was a call. And the fact that it was a decentralized type of movement, the fact that people came together around certain values, right, just like certain conditions. I mean, police violence is one of them, but so is poverty. So is the quest for housing, the quest for, you know, food justice and environmental justice. And, I mean, on, and Ice Cube apparently skipped all that. And then on top of that, because of his own misogyny, his own, his own level of classism, right, his own racism, that's Ice Cube that approved, um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry, that's Ice Cube that was a part of a group called Niggas with Attitudes that made their uh, romanticization of gang life, let's be real about this, right, romanticization of violence, who made a song that was so popular. Their, their most popular song was not Fuck the Police. Their most popular song was Bitches Ain't Shit But Hoes and Tricks. Hoes and Tricks. That's how they wow. became popular. Like, don't sit up there and get it twisted. That is my generation, right? Like, don't you can't lie to us, Ice Cube, because we know exactly where you've been. It is your generation. It is your group, literally, EVE, who didn't take responsibility and was known as a ladies' man and was known as somebody who wanted to have a ton of sex and unprotected, and that's why he died of AIDS. Like, let's keep it real. It's your group. You know, it's your group. Um, 
um, with what's his name? Uh, not not uh, not Dr. Dre, uh, the, the clown that's in jail for the rest of his life at this point. Um, that, he 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 operated like Shook as a, as a straight devil. Sure. Right? So, huh? Come on, Shook Knight. Who? We talking about Shook Knight? Shook. Shug. Yeah, Shug Knight. Yes, thank you. Shug. Shug. Shug is the devil mm-hmm. on so many different levels, it's not even funny. And I'm just saying that because Ice Cube owes, like their whole group owes. They ushered in some really horrible things, you know. They have caused harm. Dr. Ellis, Dr. Ellis. Dr. Ellis, can I ask you a question? Uh, hold on. Can I? Let me just finish my sentence, okay? okay. <laughs> I just want, I want to just just this part, right? Because of that, I'm just saying because of all of that, Ice Cube is the one that wrote a movie, the center part of which is Cedric the Entertainer, you know, serving as a barber, and what was his line? Fuck Jesse Jackson. All right? Now, whatever problems you had with Jesse Jackson, how are you going to join mainstream American media and say something like that when Jesse Jackson literally, you know, carved out the pathway for you? To, to, not just to be a political stalwart in whatever way you want to be, but also for you to make the money that you have made. So Ice Cube, for him to join up with, you know, the the, the creator of Eidos, very, you know, also another disrespectful group, disrespecting the elders in Cobra. How are you going to disrespect Cobra? Not know. Ice Cube didn't mention a thing about John Conyers and HR number 40. Right. And then to, to, to pile up with somebody who literally went and copied all of the work that the Congressional Black Caucus had done and to give it to Ice Cube, like it's, it's, it's some new idea, new political formation yeah. that he right. should follow. And then he wants to tell people, this is my contract with Black America. Ice Cube, he needs to sit down. He needs to shut up. It, it's so much more than the fact that he didn't include women. Like it's just so much. It's, just, it's appalling on so many different levels. And for him to do on, that, on, on, to go on every level, it's appalling. On every level. On, I'm going to have to ask level. you. I'm going to have to interrupt for a minute. Somebody has something running, some audio running in the background, and we're picking it up. Yeah, I hear not that. me. Not me. I, uh, can you repeat that ice cube line again? I never followed him so music. The ice cube wanna... line again. I never, I never followed his music. Oh no! I mean, Ice Cube, NWA is a very, very popular rap group. In fact, the production company that was behind Public Enemy was literally told, and they did. They stopped producing Public Enemy, and they went over to the West Coast and started producing a group called Niggas with Attitudes. That's what NWA means. And their most popular song was Bitches Ain't Shit But Hoes and Tricks. That's what they had to offer the world. It wasn't the police until a little bit later. And even that, they they had done so much misogyny and so much romanticization of gang life that fuck the police. I mean, it was popular, and it it resonated, but it wasn't like one of their major, major – like, that that wasn't an all-defining thing. They reinvented their image with that movie. That movie was inaccurate on many different levels and a lie on many different levels. And those of us who grew up with it, Let's hear from um, Brother Carl. The question I want – yeah. Let me get in here for a minute. Uh, I appreciate giving some history on uh, NWA. And breaking it down, I mean, because I'm actually of an older generation. I actually discovered them with Fuck the Police, but I became aware of the misogyny in their background. But here's what I wanted to go at. I think that Brother Robert 
in talking about Trumpism not being repudiated speaks to some reality but I, I, that, that we got to really take note of. But we also got to note that Trump is not defeated either because he is going to take this into court and he, he's packed, he pre-packed the court exactly for this to get it to legitimize his theft of the election. And we have to not only take note of that, we have to act to stop it because we can't hope that the Democrats will take care of it. We cannot hope that institutions like the courts or Congress will take care of it. We have to act. And that's why as a co-initiator of refused fascism, I have echoed and amplified their call for people to come to, into the streets to stop this fascist regime before it can consolidate its power and take away the room to resist and to protest everything they come down on. But in raising that, we have made clear as revolutionaries that we're not doing this because we think then we're going to get something from Biden because Biden is going to represent the same capitalist imperialist system that brought us to horrors over the years. And not just the ones Biden has been personally involved in, and there's a lot of them, but also that's the system that brought us Trumpism. And that's why I said revolution and nothing less is what we need. I wanted to speak to Dr. Taylor's point about Brother Dix wants revolution. Okay, but what do we do in the meantime? In the meantime, we have to fight all of the horrors the system brings down and do that from the perspective of building a movement for an actual revolution. Because in a sense, you've got to make the revolution before it's time for the revolution. By that, you've got to work on people's thinking and get them to see that this system was not made to work for them. Right. It was actually made to exploit them in the interest of a handful of people and to see that there is a way out of it. And in relation to that, I want to direct people's attention to a talk by the leader of the Revolutionary Communist Party, Bob Avakian, which is available on Revcom.us, and it's titled Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution. And in that talk, he addresses the question of why we need a revolution and how you go about it, including what you do to get from here to there. And, and people should check that talk out. And then they can hit me up on social media at Carl underscore Dix, and we can go back and forth on it because, you know, we got to deal with that. You can also hit me up via email. I'm that old school. I still respond to emails. Uh, Carl Dix at Hotmail, just my name. And, look, I think that's important. One last thing I want to say in relation to this. Uh, Brother Taylor said that Trump was a New York racist, and that is very real. What you see in terms of Trumpism is a connection between that racism and the Christian fundamentalist movement and its aims and goals. And in talking about fascism, when fascism comes to America, this is something that Bob Avakian has said about it, when it comes to America, Bob Avakian, the revolutionary leader, when fascism comes to America, it will wrap itself in the Bible and the flag, and it will be dripping racism. Because that's the history of America, and that's 
where you get this sense of grievance from the people who have actually caused the grief of the other people in society. You know, because you got these uh, MAGA mobs running around, and what you got is a bunch of white people talking about their grievances, and they are, in fact, people who have inflicted slavery on, on African people, who inflicted genocide on the native inhabitants of this land, and then remain true to those values in going all around the world. And when those people talk about their grievances, they are talking about bringing hell down on the rest of the world. And Mm -hmm. that needs to be stopped. It's going to take an actual revolution to do it. And immediately we have to see that Trump and everything he represents still has not been defeated because, you know, the thief don't give up just because you peep that he's trying to rip you off you got to actually stop him from ripping you off, not just expose that he is doing it. And that's why folks need to get in the street and stay in the street on the level that people took to the streets around George Floyd. And, look, people need to stay in the streets around police murder. I came down to Philly from New York because I actually live in New York. It seems like everybody on this panel got some New York roots in them. I came down here because the police murdered Walter Wallace in the lead up to the election. Uh, a brother who's having a mental episode, they, his family called for an ambulance and some cops, armed cops showed up, pulled their guns and shot the brother down. People need to stay in the streets to stop police murder and white supremacy, but they need to see that right now that connects up with and runs through driving out the Trump-Pence regime because you're not going to stop police terror and white supremacy with a white supremacist who loves brutal murdering cops in the White House. That just ain't going to go down. And you got to get rid of the system to end it once and for all, but you got to stop this genocidal maniac to move close to it. That's, that's what I wanted to bring into this. You know, um, thank you, Carl. Um, I, I'd like the, the panel to really address the idea. I've been giving a lot of thought to some concepts that Isabel Wilkerson in her book, Cast, um, presents. And one of them is that the structural, systemic structural uh, mechanisms of white supremacy and how it works in this country is laid upon tentacles. And I hear what uh, Brother Dix is saying, and I think the street strategy is one strategy, uh, and that what the street strategy does, it, it keeps the discourse going in in this country, uh, highlighting and, 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 and really forcing people to begin to study what is happening here. But... I've been thinking about what the other tentacles are um, and and what Donald Trump has done and one of the reasons that he is so deliberate in wanting to win this particular election because I think he's he's running a global criminal empire. And so what I would like for the, the, the panel to address right now 
is what are some of the other areas, some of the other tentacles, strategic tentacles or issues that we have to deal with, no matter whether Biden is in the White House, no matter that Trumpism is going to continue, and that somehow the shadow government is going to be the actually the fascist, the, the the structure the undergird uh, of fascism in this country because it's leaked it's here and uh, I'm not sure <coughs> if a, a Biden excuse me a Biden administration is going to be able to either one recognize it two acknowledge it how do we do that. So I want to go to Dr. Taylor. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pascal. Go ahead. Who who is the we you're talking about? Who's the we? How do you characterize the we? I'm talking about the people who have a, 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 a who live and operate and think in a context of consciousness about these issues about. How capitalism, fascism, um, and law enforcement oppression, because, you know, um, I don't think, I mean, I, I think you all have heard what Biden has to say about law and order. He's, he's going to be a law and order without any translation about what that means. It's going to be American mm-hmm. law and order. So the we is are the the we is the many classes of black people in this country, poor black people, working poor black people. Um, I, I'm I'm not sure if black farmers, black union workers, black government workers. Um, I, I'm not sure. If those people are going to be able to resist within the context in which they live their lives, hmm. Pascal, are you still there? I'm still right here. You I'm asked me who the we, and that's the we. The we is I, I understand that. The question I want to, I want to, you know, engage with you is that. How do we operationalize the we into a real politique where we are actually creating a core, a core nucleus of something that can become a movement or an infrastructure or an organization, if you will? Yeah, I'm gonna because, I'm gonna you know, throw that to Dr. Goddess. Oh, oh, I think that's pretty easy. I like the group Our Black Party. Um. Like, uh, I think it was Dr. Taylor. Uh, if I get the names wrong, I apologize. Um, whoever, whichever brother said that we received the model directly from Ella Baker. That was Dr. Taylor. Mm-hmm. And Nick. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party is the model. That's it. We need our own, like, party within a party. I agree. Because this is still a two-party system. But we, that, that is the model to actually form our own unit again that can push the Democratic Party our way. I'm so tired of these white progressives, I can't can't take it. I don't even understand how black people let 
these white people take over like the progressive movement. But a lot of these people are racist at their core, and if they can't control black people, if they can't, um, even even if they can't control the black left, right? They're they're some of the ones who claim they supported Bernie so much and they support revolution so much and they are so upset about the millionaires and billionaires. And as soon as black people in the South or black people in other places rejected Bernie, some of them went and voted for Trump. Now, there ain't no way that you can actually claim to be the revolutionary that you claim to be as a white progressive leftist because black people don't do what you told them to do, what you think is best for them you decide to go and vote for Donald Trump, who you know will be the most harmful for black people. I want black people to take over um, the rest of that progressive space. I want us—I want everything to be black-led and for us to step up into our space. I'm excited about this time period, not because of the Biden-Harris presidency, although I am excited about that because getting rid of Donald Trump is harm reduction, and I do believe that they can be moved. But I'm also excited because Kamala Harris is the person for the hour because she's been in the system. She knows she, you cannot run game on Kamala about law and order, you know. And it was Bernie's people, just so that you all are very clear. It was Bernie's people and the right wing that um, that set up an attack on Kamala a year and a half before her candidacy because she was the greatest threat. And they knew that she was running for president. And so they decided to take advantage of the Black Lives Matter movement that was, had been largely about police reforms and stopping police killing, and they, they characterized her as the top cop. And even though she used that mm-hmm. term, she had used that term herself, but they characterized her, you know, that way. They made that, like, a platform in and of itself because they knew that black people were very upset with the police, so they thought, let us fashion this black woman who has, a tr- you know, tremendous um, – leadership power and who's brilliant and, and, and almost cannot be stopped. And in fact, they did stop her, right? Like they did stop her presidential run. It did work to a certain extent because she couldn't properly introduce herself to black America um, in the way that other people could. But anyway, uh-huh. I, you know, like I said, as a member of the black radical Congress, um, it had its flaws, but it was the BRC is still one of the best things I have ever been a part of. I still wish that it existed. And so I am ready. Although um, Diddy, uh, Diddy is the one who announced our black party, <laughs> and he didn't do it right, of course. You know, as always, you know, these, some, of these, some of these, you know, cats have to keep their ego in check. But the fact of the matter is our black party was created by young black elected officials and scholars. There are, I think there's like three, there's three black women and there's three black men. Some of them are scholars. Some of them are elected officials. They created it, and they created it within the spirit yeah. and the um, ideology of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. And Diddy is the first and largest donor, the largest donor, I should say. Um, mm-hmm. He's their first mm-hmm. major donor. So when he said, yeah, I got a black party, it's like, oh, Diddy, bless your heart. You know, he has a lot to learn, but it is a real entity, and I think that it's something that we should get behind. Because what, we is have the name of it? what is the name of election. it? Our Black Our Party. Our Black Party. Okay. Literally. I haven't had an opportunity to really take a look at it, uh, Dr. Goddess, um, but if, if, if you study some of the governmental systems uh, over the, uh, around the world, one of the best is the Danish government. The Danish government has, par- has parties within parties within parties. 
and they all have special interests. And I think that one of the things that we need to do is some serious consulting about how to empower the Black Political Caucus. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and 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 we've got to stop calling na- calling people names and start helping incompetence understand that they can survive by carrying the black political torch. Dr. Taylor, you wanted to say something? Um, well, I think I'll just add that, you know, you know, I think I think I said this in the show recently that, you know, we have this bad habit in our culture of African American culture, however you define it, of deriding certain uh aspects of the culture itself, uh in particular, you know, the things that are in place, right, like like pastors or preachers. And I'm not a religious person, but I'm looking at them as an institution in the black community that Du Bois recognized as, as, at the, in, 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 w, in the souls of black folk as the before there was a building, before there was families, he said there was the black church at large, meaning the spirit of black people, not a black, you know, formal Christian religion, but the spirit of black people. He said it was the pastor, the music, and the frenzy, right? And he was talking about them as institutions that sustained us. And right now, where you got 30, 40, 50,000, whatever the actual number of black people dying right now, the people who are burying them are mostly black pastors, right? But they are an institution. But, of course, we can listen to Dave Chappelle or Chris Rock or Eddie Murphy or Richard Pryor or any of them, and I'm not saying it's not funny. I'm not saying it's not a place for it. I'm not, I'm not being you know, self-righteous about it because if, if they tell a funny joke, I'm going to laugh about it. But my point to you is that's our habit, right, is to mock our, you know, those things, right? And we see a Creflo Dollar or we'll see some excessive preacher and we'll look at him or her and ignore, you know, that the more typical preacher is like in, in the preacher's wife, you know, where the brother uh, was broke. I think it was Corey, whatever his name is. Uh, uh, the brother was broke most of the movie, you know. He couldn't, you know, right. he wasn't living large. He was struggling trying to meet the needs of the people. And I understand in reality that's what they do more than, than you know, what we get shown in terms of the excesses of well-known people, right, every day on the front lines in the black community. People like that are doing the work, and that was my beef with Cube, too, because it, it just swiped away their work. But my point is that's an institution. So is the CBC. The CBC is a black institution. The CBC has put the, forward a progressive agenda for, for police accountability, for voting rights, uh, for health care, for um, a minimum wage, you know, for, for anything that Ice Cube and uh, any other agenda that we have put forth. Uh, you know, Tavis is, this, the CBC is all of black America's uh, 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 elected representation uh, based on an institution that we created out of our movement in the 60s that was born in 1969 by key black, mostly nationalist and, and socialist thinkers uh, who became, you know, like Dellums and Diggs and Shirley Chisholm and others of that sort. These were seri- Ron Walters. Are you kidding me? These were Ron yeah. Daniels. These are serious uh, uh, people, and, and they helped fortify this institution. So you ask Ice Cube about the CBC. You ask Kanye, yeah. Yeah. or you ask 50 about the, the CBC, or you ask Cube about the, 50, the CBC, and they, if they know about it, they probably dismiss it like a lot of people do, like we do preachers, yeah. and say, oh, they ain't doing nothing. They ain't doing nothing. Yeah. And yet 
I am confident that none of them have picked up the, the, the Congressional Black Caucus's agenda to see what's in it and how much they agree with it. So to me, right. you know, I think we have a bad habit of not recognizing our wins and as a people. We always count our victories as losses, and I think um, we also have the bad habit of, of looking down on our own institutions yeah. and, and not seeing their potential. Convert the preacher. Convert the preacher to revolution, right? I have a book here called Black Socialist Preacher, and, and it's a brother down in San Diego. That, uh, I think his name is Williams, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, uh, and this brother was a, a revolutionary preacher, right, in San Diego, a black revolutionary preacher. I think his name was Ransom, if I'm not mistaken. I need to pick up the book because now that I'm, I'm mentioning his name. But my point is convert him, right? Don't Don't – Mock the church for being on every corner. Those are our institutions. Convert the people in the church to doing social programs. Yeah. And when yeah. women get I'm, in, and I'll, I'll shut up after this. When, when women no, tend to I get go. involved, when women get in these ministries uh, at the local churches, they transform them and do work that 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 ministers that men ministers have not done in generations in terms of just meeting the whole yeah. needs of the black community. So we need to stop looking down on our own institutions and acknowledge yeah. even the work the CBC has done. That's right. I think that That's this right. panel has been very powerful, and we haven't had enough time, Alpha, uh, to fully. Uh, I, I think that we need to have this discourse on ongoing until we find a place, we find some mooring uh, in this new political era. Uh, Carl Dick, Dr. James Taylor, Dr. Kimberly Ellis, Dr. Goddess. Pascal Robert, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you. if you want to call, if you want to call in on Saturday night, we're going to continue this discussion at our common ground. Thank you so very much. Wish we had thank more you. time, but we don't. Um, Alpha, we got to get out of here, but you're going to be on the air on Friday night. Oh uh, yes, I am. Uh, Ten o'clock Friday night. Nine o'clock east. I mean central. And uh, you know, John, it's the uh, number one. Like I said, I gotta go. At this Alpha. point, nah. At this point, what? Hurry up! See, no, Alpha, no, you do that all the time. Just hurry up. <laughs> no, I was just saying. At this point, there's one thing that should be on everybody's mind. Getting this damn fool out of the White House. <laughs> Bring in the bad players. Bring in the bad I players. Hear, I hear that. That's right. I hear that. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. And we'll see you on Friday night at Alpha, the TruthWorks Network, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And our common ground on Saturday night, 10 p.m. Uh, Eastern Time. And we thank you for joining us tonight, and we thank our panel. We've got to keep this discussion going. Thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground. For all of you that have joined us in our chat room, we thank you as well. I'm Janice Grant. Join us each Saturday at Our Common Ground. I'll be listening for you, speaking truth to power and ourselves.
Yeah.